You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Lord, I just want to ask you to help me, help me today to, to, to be your voice, to be your messenger, to, to be your proclaimer. Uh, I want to speak to our hearts today uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you open our hearts? Would you help us, Lord, that we are, are uh, uh, open vessels, Lord, to whatever you might want to say and what you might want to speak to us? I pray that what is done here today glorifies you and that it honors you and and blesses you, but I also pray that it changes us, and it, it transforms us so that we are more like you, Jesus. Uh, help me as, uh, in, in my humanity, in my own ways, to decrease today, and, and that you may increase through me, um, and that, that this time really will be profitable for the kingdom of God. So uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness, your love, and your mercy to all of us. And, and help us now to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be talking about the parable of the great banquet. All right? The parable of the great banquet. And we're really going to talk about excuses today. You know, that's something we're going to talk about. Uh, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 14. Uh, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 and, and read uh, a few verses here for you, okay? Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And now here comes our parable. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind. And the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's another one of those parables that... Uh, it just shakes you, you know. It just really, really challenges you to the core uh, because it really causes you to look at your own heart so, so deeply. And that's what I love about the parables. What I love about Jesus' teachings is how much uh, he, just, he just can get in there and he can just, just move in our hearts and, and shift us around. And so that's my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit does that for you and I. You know, there's a difference between a reason and an excuse. There are times when, when we may have legitimate reason for what we do or what we don't do, 
an excuse, though, is actually sort of uh, the skin of reason, but stuffed with a lie. All right, so it looks, it looks legit on the outside to some degree. It sounds a bit legit uh, initially, all right? But the reality is that, that it, it, it's not, all right? It is still exactly that. It is an excuse, all right? And so as we look at the text today, I think we're going to see um, a reality that I want to bring home to you, and that is that, that the truth is that when we offer excuses, it causes anger in the Lord. Um, and, and, and so we want to just kind of open this up for a few minutes. And I really want that to be the challenge, is that we really look at our heart concerning the kinds of things we, we respond to God with, the kinds of things we say to God when we are being called or are called out to, to do something or to serve in some way or just to follow Him in, in, in genuine obedience. What are the things that we are saying? How are we responding to Him? What is the condition of our heart? You know, in the, in the preceding passage, Jesus spoke about the danger of pride and and the great value of humility in us. And there's a, there's a powerful principle here that he gives out in, in verse 11. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he turns to the host, and, and he says this. He says, and, and we read it at the beginning, he says, when you give a luncheon or, or a dinner, uh, don't invite your friends. <laughs> Uh, your brothers, your, your relatives, all right, your rich neighbors, all right? Because if you do that, then in all likelihood, they're going to invite you back, all right? They're going to reciprocate in some way. And when they reciprocate, then you've been repaid, all right? You, you did something good for them, and then they did something for you. Down south where I grew up, this was what politicians called, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do something for me, I'll do something for you, you know. And that seems to be quite convenient, even appealing, even alluring in some ways, all right. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. We both win. It's a win-win. We both get something out of that, all right. Um, but what Jesus says to, to uh, the, the host is he says, um, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed, all right? Now, he says, although they cannot repay, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. And that's something that I want you and I to, to, to get inside of us as we more and more reach out to other people, and that is that we are not to expect some type of immediate repayment. You know, we're giving, we're, we're givers, we're generous, as our soul prospers, we give and we, we share. And we do it in the name of Jesus. We do it in the gospel, as the gospel. And so we're not expecting something back. We're not expecting something in return. We don't, we don't ask people to do something. I know that there are ministries that, you know, that, that they are willing to feed a meal or, 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 or give a bed to sleep and those kinds of things, but they require that a person sit through the, the, the gospel message, so to speak, first, you know, before doing that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong or anything. But, but in life, church, we just give generously. And I want you to understand that because when this abundant harvest of food comes in uh, in late summer, there's no strings attached. If we say it's free, it's free. 
We're just going to give food. We're just going to give it out in the neighborhood. We're going to have it available for people to come and get. And we're going to deliver it to those people who can't come and get it. And and we're not going to have any strings. There's not going to be any short string or long string. There's nothing that we're going to pull at. We're not going to get into switch and bait kinds of stuff. We're just going to generously give and represent the generosity of God and that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe would be saved. And so I want, to, I want to challenge our heart today in how we come to God and, and even how, uh, how, what, what our motives are and, and, and all of that, okay? Now, let me also say this. There's nothing wrong with having friends in your home. There's nothing wrong with, with you inviting people over. We, we sort of uh, uh, promote fellowship here quite a bit, you know, and we have life groups and different things. And my life group met Friday night and we met at Culver's and and all of us scrunched in around one of those little, you know, corner tables, and we were all in there together. And we were just talking all over each other and, 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 and bumping into each other. And, and we just, I thought this would be great because we were kind of celebrating our May birthdays because a lot of us had birthdays in, in May and celebrating a couple of graduations and that kind of stuff, you know. And I thought, great, we're going to have a little lunch. And, 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 and then we're going to get out of here. And so it won't be a long night because I was really tired. And I love my life group. But, man, I was so exhausted. I was just really burnt. And, uh, I mean, it was so bad. I'm just scrunched in there with everybody. And, I, and, and, and it's like I think of things I want to say. But, you know, all these people are talking back and forth. And I'm so tired that before I can get it out of my mouth, they're all talking about other stuff, and I just felt behind the whole time, you know, because I, I was just tired. But it was so good just to be there, you know, just to be in there and, and to hang out with them. And, and, and life groups do that, you know. People, people grow with each other, and they have fellowship, and they love being together, and that, that's great. But there are others of you, you know, you go out after church on Sunday and have lunch together, or you invite each other to your homes, and, or you go, you go to different events together, you know, and, and things like that. It's great. Nothing wrong with any of that. And I'm not at all advocating that you not do that or that, that you necessarily lessen that, all right? But I want you to understand that, that God is calling us to something deeper, uh, something that cost, all right? That it actually, there's a cost involved in it, you know? If, if, if I in, in, invite Troy to go out to coffee with me, um, I, I can pretty much bet that he might invite me then to go out to coffee with him. And so it, maybe we're just buying each other coffee. And maybe that's a great thing. You know, all the introverts are going, well, why don't you just buy your own coffee and just go half the time? You know, no, God wants us connected. God wants us engaging. God, he doesn't want us to be so busy that we miss him in all of it. But he does want us to relate to one another and to grow in, in, in those relationships with each other. So I'm advocating that, but at the same time I'm saying there's a deeper level that God wants us to get to. There's a deeper place that he is wanting us to go, all right? And so let's look then at what he's saying here about some of this. Let's start at verse 15. It says, uh, um, can you put, no, never mind. I'll just, I'm going to read you from a little bit different translation here, all right? Let me do that. Here we go. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Can't you just see this guy? Oh, can't wait. 
I'll be blessed. You know, I can't wait for, for that that is going to um, bless me. It's going, to, it's going to be fun for me. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm, I deserve this. this. He's talking to some Pharisees here, some, some really religious people. You know, I, I deserve that place. I deserve a special place. And I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm going to have it, you know. And, and Jesus just immediately replies, and he says, okay, let me, let me give you a picture here. There's a certain man, he's preparing a great banquet, and he invites many guests. And he sends his servant, and he tells them who have already been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And of course, they make excuses. And he says, well, go out and get the, the, the blind and the, and the lame and the crippled and, and all those people. And, and they come in, but then there's still room. And he says, you go out in, into the countryside. Go out beyond here. And you compel them. The, the, the old King James uses that word, compel. You go out and you make them come in. And then he makes this comment. I'll tell you this. Those who were invited originally, they won't even get to taste my banquet. Wow. Wow, what a revelation. Studying these parables is kind of like peeling an onion, because not because it'll make you cry, but they will sometimes. But it's it's rather like that that an onion is like a parable, or a parable like an onion in the sense that there are several layers of application. You know, um, the outer layer is just like the story itself. You know, uh, in this case, it was this this rich man who invited people to the wedding feast. But but then you get below that, you know, you peel that away, and then there's this there's this sort of this historical layer uh, that that spoke to Jesus's original audience, so to speak. You know, and what was going on culturally and in the context and all of that. Um, and 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 you know, the the very astute and very uh, perceptive of those who were there, the Jewish religious people, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, and such. Um, it, it's, you could likely speculate that they were pretty infuriated at this story that is being told here because what they, they are really understanding, if they are astute here, is that Jesus was saying something like this, although um, God invited his chosen people, the Jews, to come to him, uh, they made empty excuses, and so God is is this God of Israel is going to go and invite the Gentiles to come into his family. And, and th- those were kind of like fighting words, if, 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 you, if you understand all of this. Uh, and, I, and I think that's in there. I think that's very, very much in there. But then, then let's go a little bit further now, and we, we see that. We see that Jesus is really getting in there. He's really challenging the, the, the Pharisees and such. He's really challenging the religious people. And he's saying, don't, don't just do these things that benefit you. Don't, don't just pat your back or someone else's back so they pat your back. Don't, don't just care about yourself. Don't just look to yourself. So he's really digging. He's really getting in there. But then we have to come to the next layer. We kind of have to peel that layer off as we see that and understand that kind of stuff. Then we peel that off, and we have to say then, all right, what is the personal application here? What, how do I get it down to me? What is God saying to me, all right? I think when you, when you study the Bible, you, you need to ask a couple of questions. One is, what, what did these words mean here to the original audience uh, when, when they heard them or, or they read them. And, and second, now, what does these words mean to me? What's the rhema message for God to me? And I would like for you and I to, to, to also ask another question, and that is, okay, God, okay, what are you speaking to me? But now, what are you speaking to us? 
What are you speaking corporately? What are you saying to us as a church? How, how, are, you, how are you speaking to us as your people? And what do we need to respond in to this? All right? And it, it may be quite a bit different for individuals as to what God is speaking to them or how they, they need to respond individually. But I think there's a corporate response to Scripture that we need to be a part of. And so I want to challenge us to also think that way, too, as we're looking at these parables. All right? So this parable begins. All right, I, want, I want to consider, first of all, the invitation. This parable begins with this rich man, and he's inviting these guests. And it was a great banquet, in all likelihood. And there were many, many guests were invited. So it was like probably the social event of the season. This is the big deal, all right? This is it, all right? Um, and, and of all the occasions in Jewish culture, you know, a, a big feast like this or a wedding feast was the most joyous celebration possible. And uh, it's not a last-minute kind of invitation at all here, all right? It was actually Jewish custom to send an earlier invitation uh, giving the day of the banquet, you know, giving the date, uh, but, but oftentimes and generally no time, no specific time was set, all right? But the guest would have already accepted the invitation, all right? Um, and, and, and so they would be ready, they would be prepared, waiting for the moment when uh, those would be sent out who would say, okay, now it's all ready, come on, let's, let's go and let's, let's enjoy And so in this parable, I think our our Heavenly Father is the host. Uh, Each of us are invited to the banquet. All right, it's the great wedding banquet of history. You know, this is it. This is the the banquet of all times. There isn't anything greater than than the church, the bride of Christ Christ coming together uh, and having this wonderful wedding banquet with Jesus. Uh, Nothing nothing like it at all, all right? Guinness, just this is a side note, I guess, but Guinness's World Book of Records claims that the biggest wedding, most expensive wedding in, in history, in modern history, took place in Dubai several years ago. Uh, an Arab prince got married, had a 10-day wedding celebration. Anybody have an idea of what it cost? You know, you think a million dollars, two million maybe. No, it cost $44 million just for a wedding. How extravagant. How crazy. Unbelievable. Lacey, how, did, did, that's about where you're at? Was that where you guys were? Oh. <laughs> huge, huge, big, big event. All right. Nothing, it, won't, it, it will pale in comparison to this great feast we will have with Christ. There is nothing that can come close. There is no amount of money that can get someone close to this event. And, I, and I, I bring that out because I have noticed something about us, the church. And I want to challenge us in this area. If that is true, and I believe that it is, I believe it's totally the truth, that it's, it will be the greatest event ever in the history of mankind. There will nothing ever be like it, and everything else to that point pales in comparison when we are sitting at the table with Jesus in this great wedding feast. If that is the case and we believe it, why do we not act like it? Honestly, why do we not act like it? I challenged you last week to think about your decisions and, and, and the outcome of them. 
And one of the reasons is I, I, I want you and I to think about our decisions so that, that we are really understanding why we make the decisions that we make. So why do we choose to be excited? What is it that, that draws us into excitement? Why do we choose to not be excited? What is it that, that, that diminishes the ability to get excited within us? If we believe this, it should excite us. If we believe this, it should make us happy. If we believe this, it should bring some type of joy. It should also bring some sense of urgency, some sense of fervency on our part. And we should want to share it with others. And I've seen in in the church in America a dissatisfaction, if you will, over time. And, and, and a lack of enthusiasm and a lack of excitement and joy. Maybe it's because we pastors are not doing our job. Maybe we need to preach about heaven more. Maybe, maybe we need to preach more about some of the things to look forward to. I don't know. But, but it seems that, 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 that for, from watching some of us, all right, from, from watching some of us who claim to be Christians, all right, um, there, there seems to be little joy in our lives a lot of the time. I'm speaking, you know, in a broad sense here. But, but I think that many people think that, that the Christian life is dull, that it's boring, that it's a sad existence. Um, you know, I think unbelievers think that to become a Christian, you have to stop laughing, you have to give up stuff, you, you, you can't have fun. They just haven't met Pastor Dave and I yet. Um, but... You know, I mean, <laughs> we are from fun country. We love to have fun. Not at the expense of the gospel by any means. Um, but for me, there's, there's just something that gives me hope about this whole thing of Jesus coming again. You know, I love living in the power of the resurrection. I think that's just a great place to live. I think that's just a great place to, to land, you know, is in the power of the resurrection. And I look for the coming of Jesus Christ. And regardless of what I face on this earth, I, I believe that, that there is something greater, grander, better for us, all right? But I think some people get the idea that, that attending churches, um, it, it is more like a funeral service than a celebration. You know, it, it, it has more of a... It's this sense of, I don't know, death. I got to give up. I got to die. I got to, you know, I got, it, it, it just got, I don't know. I, I don't relate to that very well, I guess. But, but and, and I'm not saying live in a place of denial. I'm not saying live in, in a false place of, of, of you know, just, just being, trying to be joyful and trying to be happy and it's all, you know, a front or a facade or those kind of, I'm not talking about that. Please understand, there are legitimate times. There's a time to cry and weep. There's, there's a time to mourn. You know, there is a time to agonize and to wrestle. There is a time to, to, to go visit the dark soul, you know, that side of you that is, is down there deep and dark and, and has longings and, and has agony and has to wrestle with, with questions and with things, you know, and has to come to God that way. And I think that's a very vital place. I think there's a very important aspect of the Christian faith. So I'm not saying that, that you can't go down there. I'm just saying don't stay there. All right, let's come back up. Once in a while, you just got to come up from some air and, and, and hear a good you know, message on, on the coming of Jesus and, and all of that kind of stuff. You ever attend a major league event like a, a football game or a baseball game? 
Yeah, I have too. I've, I've attended baseball games and football games and soccer games. I've attended soccer games in Europe and in Brazil, both. And I'll tell you what, uh, I've never seen so many people so wild in my entire life. You know? And they're just excited. And they're just alive. And they're just full of energy. And they just love it. And it's just great. And they're eating food that they shouldn't eat. You know? And they're, they're, just, they're just laughing and having a good time. You see those same people in church and they, it's like, what happened? They turned to wood. <laughs> I'm not advocating that all of us have to be like me. Please, oh, please don't be like me, okay, in some respects. Uh, you know, I, I understand the Apostle Paul said, do what, you know, just do what I do and you'll be all right. You know? Well, you will be with me too, but you don't have to have my personality when you do it necessarily, okay. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. Can we be alive? If we're living position in the resurrection, you've been made alive in Christ. All right? There needs to be some evidence of joy in us. And and maybe that is elusive for some people, and I I, I get that. But at least could we try to reach for it? And can can we put ourselves around others who are filled with joy? A, A joyless, gloomy Christian, I think, is a contradiction of terms. If you are a Christian, there should be joy in your life. It is part of your fruit. It is part of your spirit, if you will, all right? And so I think some of us in our day, we need to stop enduring religion and we start enjoying a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Christian life, I think, is a banquet hall and certainly not a prison camp. It's a place where where we can, can go, you know, and we can, we can really enjoy ourselves. One guy um, wrote it, wrote out a a little commentary in a blog, and he said, um, the Christian life is like a delicious banquet. It's all you care to eat of the bread of life, living water, and the meat of the word. It's a blessing buffet. It includes saucers of salvation, the fruit of forgiveness, kegs of kindness, jugs of joy, platters of peace, layers of love, and dishes of devotion. He's wild, isn't he? It is a feast to enjoy. It is filling. But best of all, it is free, and you are invited. I, I just think that's great. I mean, he's cheesy as ever. My goodness. But I, there's just something great about it. It makes me feel good when I read it. You know? And, and I, I want to challenge you and I that we begin to know that this is a feast and not a funeral we're headed to. You know? And here's the other, other aspect of that that I want to bring to your attention this morning is that everything is ready. You only have to come. You don't have to do anything. My mother uh, was a true southern belle. She was this tiny little ball of fire, you know. And, um, and, and, and whenever we were invited to, to someone's home for dinner, she always asked. She said, she said is there anything I can bring, honey? What, what do you want me to bring? I bring dessert. I bring salad. I bring deviled eggs. What, what do you want? You know, and, and, and the... the sort of the thing down south, and and maybe it is in a lot of other places too, and I'm not saying people up here don't offer to bring things, I'm just, that's my context, that's that's what I grew up in, but but I remember sometimes my mother and other ladies, they would talk about people. Now, I mean, they were trying to do it in in a, they would say a good spirit. It's never a good spirit. No. That is not a good spirit. All right. But, but they would, they would, they would package it spiritually so that it sounded like it was a good spirit. Now, Eugene, God bless his heart. His wife, do you know that she did not bring anything today? 
And then that was sort of the door to open to just, you know, get in there and talk about this couple. You know, but that, that was sort of the thing. You were, you were sort of expected to bring something if you were going to come to dinner that day. You know, just something, anything. You know, deviled eggs, that's fine, but just bring something. You know, and, and, and so I, I remember, you don't have to bring anything. It's done. Jesus paid the price. You don't have to work for this. You don't have to have to buy it. You don't have to run by high B real quick. I know the people who stayed up late and, and got up late, and they're just getting to church on time because on life lunch Sunday, they bring high V. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it's just easy to go to bed and run through high V the next morning. I got to bring something. I'm the pastor. So I run through high V and get something and bring it, you know. That caramel apple pie is a fine thing. You know, you just run in there, you know, right where they are. You get it, you're out lickety split. But you brought something. You don't have to bring anything. Don't have to bring anything. Jesus has paid the price. That's the beauty of this whole thing. And so I want you to understand that. Jesus, uh, he, he said it in verse 17. The host says, come, everything is now ready. He provides it all, all right? He's got, he's got everything. You just bring your appetite, all right? So I... I remember studying some different religions from time to time. And I, I, I think I've discovered something along the way, and that is that some other religion, a lot of other religions, I think, uh, Christina could tell you so much more about this than, than I could, but it seems like a lot of people in those religions are trying to just appease their God. And one of the reasons is they don't want to be punished by their God. Um, and, and so I, I understand that, 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 that there are some groups that would be happier if their God never noticed them. Matter of fact, some of them try to run from their God, you know, or stay away from their God. They want, they're more comfortable with that, that distance. But, but I think the Bible, our faith, our God, says exactly the opposite. He isn't saying, run from me. He's saying, come to me. This is, the, this is the message throughout our scripture, throughout our, our, all of, our, our, of God's word. It, it, God isn't some mysterious deity who is so mysterious and so unreachable that you have to search, with him, search for him for all, all of your life or, or by chance you might find him and then he won't like you and you need to appease him. But, but he's close by. I actually believe that's one of God's favorite words, come. You, you, all through the Bible, he invites people to himself. And I, I love Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's what people in and outside of the church today need to hear, I think. It's this idea of come, come to me, come and experience me, come and be with me. That's what you need to hear. That's what I need to hear. That's the joy of me going on a sabbatical. That's, that's one of the main reasons that, that, that 
Pastor Day pushed this thing of a sabbatical for me is he wanted that I would have some time away and alone. Uh, and that's why he's saying very politely for you not to contact me. Um, and I don't want to go against it. I mean, I want to. I want to whisper to you and just say, oh, it's all right. You Facebook me. Yeah. No, you can't do that. All right. Because that's, 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 that's the deal. All right. That's the deal. Is, and and, and I, I'm, I'm getting very excited to experience some of that time. Uh, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really quite have my hands around it and my head around it right at first. And, and, and I was wondering, what, what, what am I going to do? What should, I, what should I do on this sabbatical what, while I'm away? Uh, and and a, a magazine came in the mail. Not one that, that I ordered, but it was just sent to me. And, and the main article in, in the magazine is from a pastor uh, in a church in, in Austin, Texas. And it's about his life-changing sabbatical. And how he went away for a month. Imagine that. Um, the only difference is he went to some Caribbean island. Um, and, and, and I'm going to England. But I, I like England. So I think that's going to be great. But he talked about his mornings of prayer. And, and reading scripture with no agenda. You know, no, no purpose other than just engaging the Lord. And, and, and enjoying his presence. And you know what? I'm getting very excited about that. But here's the thing. You and I don't have to go on sabbaticals to experience that. This is a great opportunity for me. But you and I can experience this with God. His, he is calling us to come to him. To come and to experience him and to be with him. Now, let us go to the next part quickly here. Here's the insult in this parable. They gave excuses. They gave excuses. When they were called, when, when everything was ready, when everything had been prepared, everything was ready. In verse 18, he says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Every one of them began to make excuses. Remember, the invitation had already been extended. It had been extended prior to this day, this time of the parable. They had been invited. They knew the date. It was supposed to be set apart. And they were holding that date. And so now the host is cooking all this food and, and, and having all of this stuff prepared for them to come. And now he sends out his servant and says, all right, now it's ready. Come on, let's go. So there, there should have been this expectation, this expectancy, this desire to come and be a part of the party, part of the banquet. And so when he comes, or when these servant, our servants come, then they all begin to make mistakes. And it says in verse 21 that the owner of the house, the, the host, became angry. See, in, in, in the Middle East, it, it was very, very improper to decline an invitation from a great individual. It was like the ultimate slap in the face. It was a total insult. And so, the host gets angry. Now, we, we understand in this parable that this host is the Lord. And so, I, I want to say something to you. God has not changed. He is who He is. And when we offer excuses to our God, it angers Him. We... We've got to be careful about empty excuses and, and, and what we, we offer. 
Because that excuse, as I said earlier, it may be in the skin of reason, but it's just a lie stuffed there. One person said once, alibis become lullabies. They just put you to sleep. And I think our culture has made an art of making excuses. I, uh, I love the Internet. I pulled up on the Internet some... I, I, I read these from time to time. Insurance company claims, some of the crazy claims that go to insurance companies. And, and they actually list a number, some of them, that, a number of their excuses that come in, like for car accidents and things like that. Here's a short, the short list of, of uh, worst excuses for auto accidents. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. Guy actually said that. Turned it in. Turned it into an insurance company. Second one. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. (laughs) Wrote it down. Put it in there. My goodness. I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. The indirect cause was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. The other driver was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) Last one, I promise. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over to the embankment. That's what he said. I didn't add anything to this. (laughs) I did. I didn't put anything with that. I promise. And, and there's no gender indications there as to whose mother-in-law it was except he. Okay. All right. There are three excuses given in this parable. Let's look at them real quick. Because I think they're the same excuses that we give today in, on, on some level. They may appear to be legitimate on the surface, but when you examine these excuses given, you're going to discover that they're empty. They're just empty, and they're given simply because these people did not at this particular time want to attend the banquet. Excuse number one, I got to take care of my stuff. First man said, I just bought some land. I got to go examine it. Now, number one, how many of you would buy a piece of land without examining it? You know? If you would, you may want to ask the Lord for more wisdom. But this man is representing a group of people. He's representing people who are so possessed by their possessions and, and they're so controlled by them and they spend their lives buying more and more stuff. And, 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 and then they, they have to spend all their time protecting and maintaining and guarding all of their stuff and, 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 and having it. Uh, and, and Jesus says in Luke twelve fifteen, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. This is an empty excuse. It just doesn't hold water at all. He just was consumed with his stuff to the point that he missed the greatest event of history. Excuse number two. My job keeps me too busy. The second fellow indicated that he had just purchased five uh, yoke of oxen, so he, he was going out to test them. Well, these are, this is a wedding feast, and they're held in the evening, so do you really think this guy is going to go out after dark and practice plowing with his new oxen? I don't think so. But you and I know dozens of people who don't have time for God because they stay so busy with their jobs. They're so consumed by their work. And they can't squeeze God into their busy schedule. 
I've known folks who used to serve God, but they became so successful they no longer have time to, to serve the Lord. They no longer have time to be involved in the church. Uh, this is a true story. There's a pastor uh, down south, and uh, he had a guy in his church, and this guy was faithful. He was passionate. He was involved. He was working hard in the church. He was, he was evangelizing. He was just doing, doing wonderful things. He was a brilliant guy, and he did a little upstart business of his own. It took off. All of a sudden, he's, he's, he's starting a, a, a branch and then another branch and another branch and another branch. Before long, he's building a corporate office. He, he, just, he became extremely wealthy. And, and the richer he became and the more his company grew, the less and less he got involved in the church uh, to the point that he was, he was averaging attendance only. Uh, and that was about once a month, if that. And, and the story's told that this little old pastor uh, of this church down in, 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 in Texas came in one morning and he walked into the receptionist's office, and he walks right by the receptionist, doesn't even look at her, doesn't acknowledge her at all, walks into the, the sort of the outer office where the private secretary is, looks at her, nods, and walks right past her and opens the door to the office and walks right into this guy's office. Um, for the sake of the story, we'll call this guy Al. No offense, Al. Okay, but uh, he walks in, and Al looks up, and he goes, Well, Pastor, surprised to see you. And he goes, well, I just came back because I just want to pray for you real quick. And so uh, he says, okay. And so the, the pastor starts the prayer. And he says, God, would you bless Al and would you take away all of his stores except the original one that he started with? Because after that one, he began to stop liking you and loving you and following you and being faithful. So will you take all of that away from him so he will come back to that place where you were the most important person in his life? And Al looked up at him and said, I don't know if I like that prayer, Pastor. And the pastor said, it really doesn't matter. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Not that he's ugly, but I admire that because he, his intent, his, he put value on a man's soul to the point that he was willing to risk a situation that would cause him to shift his way of thinking. And that's what the parables should do. They should shift us. They should cause us to think differently. The instructions. Invite everyone. Invite everyone. There isn't a single person that should not be invited. And I want to challenge, especially you guys right now, because excuse number three was, I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of my family. You guys are going to love this one. The guy says, I just got married. And I bet he said it that way. Surely everyone will understand. I just got married. You know? The reality is that this host didn't just invite him alone. Even though he may have married in between the original invitation and when now everything is ready, he would never have excluded the bride. There are no exclusions. There's no one that's set outside. Men, hear me for just a moment. Your wife and your children need to come with you. By that, I mean you need to bring them into the faith. You need to encourage them and, 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 and love them in such a way that it shows Christ. 
I love my family. Sometimes I'm way too generous to my family. Amen, right? She, she twisted up her nose to that one. I'll always be generous. I will always lay down what I can. I will always sacrifice what I can for my family. But there's a reason why. It's because Jesus sacrificed everything. And those are the only few limited, tangible ways that I can demonstrate that. And making Him first in my life. And that's not always lauded or, or, or praised or, or looked at. But let me tell you something. Gentlemen, your children are wonderful and they need extracurricular activities, and they need an education, and they need fun, and they need all these other kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you something. More than all of that, they need Jesus. And please do not live your life filled with activities and and, and other opportunities and such to the expense of bringing your family to Jesus and knowing Jesus. And please let your children understand and your wife understand that there is a banquet that is coming And it is joyous and it is wonderful. And there's nothing that you as a family will give up that will take the place of that banquet in value or experience or anything else. Everyone. So at that particular point of the invitation, our role changes in the parable, I think. We now need to see ourselves in this way, that you and I have some tremendous good news to give. And that news should compel us to go out and share it with others. We're called to go into the world and share this great good news. Go and compel them. Go and make them come in. I'm not saying you should do anything to hurt anybody (laughs) or to, to hurt anybody's feelings, but I think we've missed the mark in terms of our excitement and our joy to share this amazing hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. And I challenge us that we will live out of that place more. I challenge you that that you will come to that place today. All right? So, with that in mind, I want to ask you something as we close out here. What What would be your answer? What is your answer? Have you been giving excuses? Have you built up some kind of defense that you feel very good about to defend yourself from being obedient to the call of God in your life? Because I want to invite you to come into that call. I want to invite you to come into that place where God has positioned you, where he's commissioned you, where he's gifted you, where he's trained you, where he's excited you, where he's, he's put passion in you. And it may not all be there right now. It may have, have, have sort of diminished over time. But could you reignite that? Could you, could, could you let that come alive again as you think about the coming of Jesus Christ and spending eternity with him? And could you get a burden and a heart for those who are not there, who don't know that? So I want to give that invitation to you today that you would come. In some way that you would come to Jesus today and renew that. That call in your life. You don't have to. You can make an excuse. But if you do, someday you're going to have to. 
stand before God. What, what would that be? It's nothing, really. It's an empty excuse. It might go something like this. On May 26, 2013, I sat in the service and heard Pastor Bill preach. And he renewed an open invitation for me to come commit my life to you. And I didn't do it. You sign your name. You sign it yours, not truly. Not truly. Our prayer team's going to come up. They're going to be available. I would like you to consider two options right here. That you come up and let someone pray for you. Or would you find just a moment to sit quietly or kneel or whatever you need to do in your seat? And for just a moment, would you let the Holy Spirit speak to you? Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is sending the servant out to say, come. Come. Let me pray for you. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to prick our hearts today and challenge us deeply to our level of commitment. Help us to not be people filled with excuses. Help us rather to be people who are filled with determination and perseverance and fervency and passion to say yes and amen to all that you would have us do. Help us to be faithful as stewards. Help us to give ourselves to you and to the work of spreading your invitation in all the earth. Do this for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a couple of minutes. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. If you need prayer, come.